I started going on LinkedIn a lot to network. I joined a couple of Slack groups as well to make friends and just to get pointers and ideas of what they're doing or what's going on with the market. It kept me sane. That's what I did. I did a lot of spreadsheet work and research, and then I tried to network as much as possible. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Offos. Thanks for joining us today on the the OpStars podcast. Uh, we have another episode, uh, and today we're joined by Katarina Kat Torres, uh, who is the Senior Revenue Operations Manager at Weights and Biases. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Don. I appreciate that you guys reached out to me. This is great. Oh, yeah. We were really excited to have you. I know, uh, you know, a lot of what we're doing in this season of, of the podcast is interviewing the folks that either applied for or won an OpStars award. And I know that you were with Zoom when you had done the OpStars award that we had that Zoom had won around the, what was the topic that you guys had won on? I forget. It was, it was lead management. Lead management specifically. Yeah. You guys, you guys had a situation where uh, you had a lot of leads. I think, I think you were, you were there at, at Zoom and for the audience. I mean, if you could imagine being at Zoom in March of 2020, when the pandemic started and everyone shifted to working from home Zoom had a little problem. I, I, you know, I think it's a problem that any of us would love to have of getting literally thousands of inbound leads per day of people that needed to get Zoom because no one was going into the office anymore. So, can you describe, Katarina, what was what was that like? So, thousands of leads, not even an exaggeration. It was Zoom already had a high inbound volume. So it wasn't like we were dealing with, you know, one, two leads a day. It already was a high volume. And right before the COVID shutdown, we had um, implemented lean data as well to look at our reasons behind implementation was to make it very flexible for the operations team to change routing on a dime for the business needs. Whereas before it was a lot more involved, you needed to get Salesforce development, custom code fixed and updated. So lean data was implemented definitely for that pivot structure that we wanted. Then everything shut down. All of a sudden, everybody wanted to use Zoom, and it was all hands on deck. Any projects were put on hold that did not aid in helping leads as they come in. Our my manager at the time, Hillary Headley, she was, you know, pulling in different ideas with the team where to focus. You know, I, we were working overnight on the weekend. Our system was built very well, but even uh, even so, it was breaking down because of the lead volume that was coming in. And we worked very closely with the heads of Lean Data even to put in product patches or, or like improvements just to even make the batches come in, you know, a certain way so that way nothing was getting stuck in the pipeline. It was it was insane. Yeah, I imagine. So, I mean, I think would be interesting is I would imagine, like, for example, I, I know that when the when the pandemic hit, I had to get my mom on Zoom, right? So my mom had to go. So my mom, who's 87, you know, <laughs> was going to the Zoom website and being like, hey, I need to get Zoom. So I mean, I'm sure you had a, I'm sure you had a, a significant amount of, you know, what I would call, you know, consumer end users, which you probably got anyway, before pandemic, 
but you also probably had a significant number of truly, you know, B2B folks that are like, wow, okay, we never had anything like Zoom and I know I need it now. So like, how did you split those? Like, how did you know to send my mom to someone that would be, you know, hey, go to the website here and you'll get taken care of versus, you know, someone at an enterprise company coming in like, hey, I need I need to buy Zoom for 500 people and get it to the right, you know, AE. Yeah, the website was very well made for that process, for the PLG splitting them out. Yeah, so it showed you the tiering of each product. So, you know, freemium people don't have to talk to sales. They don't have to really do anything. We have your paid on demand per per month. That's like the one twosies people. And then when you get when you got to larger groups of uh, users, it was a contact us link instead of being able to sign up online. So it was very easy to segment the data because of the different pathways that people took online. Right. So on the front end, you were already you were already, you knew what graph of lean data to send the people down based on the web form they were coming in on. Yeah, yeah. And we had to separate it out too. Freemium users did not go through lean data. They went into a separate database on their own. Only paid users went through our main CRM and went through routing. And uh, yeah, we went from like a B2B to a B2C overnight. It was it was insane. Yeah. So something something you you hit on that I wanted to to talk about too. Like I, I know all this got implemented before the pandemic hit, which is great. But you had mentioned like pre lean data, you were having to reach out to IT to make changes to anything and how you were routing leads because everything was hard coded in Salesforce and that code had to be updated and that that required IT intervention, which meant you had to wait for a sprint. Like it it was not something that just could happen on the fly, uh, which is really how you probably had it set up post lean data, right? Right, right. So before, because Salesforce doesn't come with a way to match leads to accounts, we had two methods. We had operations managing the lead assignment roles, which is a one by one by one line of if then clauses of when a lead comes in. And then for account to lead matching, that was the hard code. So if we had something new that we wanted to implement, like this industry or this segment goes to this type of person, we had to put in a ticket and work with our development team. And we have to go through QA. It was just, it was a lot. It was a lot of work to get that changed. Yeah. Even just maintaining the assignment rules, we had over a hundred lines. So that was not fun. Yeah. So, so post lean data, all that goes away. Like I have to imagine your 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 IT team at Zoom had to be really happy that lean data was put in place. They were, uh, I would say, more neutral. Neutral. They liked being able to be involved in the process, but it did free up a lot of time for them, and it freed up a lot of time for ops as well. It took originally it took about two and a half ops people plus. I would say a developer plus a QA person before lean data. Afterward, it would take one person. So they have three people's hours where they could focus on something else. So yeah, it was it was definitely a good change for sure. Did you find after lean data was put in place that, you know, IT was coming to you with like, hey, you know, you, you fixed this lead problem using lean data. Can you fix this problem with lean data? Did I mean, did, did did they come to you with any other issues that they were running into? They thought maybe lean data could solve? No, actually, they didn't. I think because 
the tool lived with operations ah. and then the business services team was very much focused on, you know, code back in development. It wasn't one of those things where it was like, okay, now we're going to give you the ticket back. It was just more of a, the issues would come to us. Nobody would go directly to the business services team. The, that I think would answer the question then. All the problems came to the ops team and then we translated it and gave it to them. No one went directly to them. So that's why nothing came back to us. Got it, got it, got it. Oh, that, that would make sense. Okay, so I love that story. But, you know, here we are, we are, here we are three years later and you, of course, departed from Zoom. Do you want, do you want to talk about that at all? Yes, so I am still faithfully love, I love Zoom. I still, even when I talk to people who work there, I still call myself, Azumi, the CEO was, he really believed the words that he said to us, he really believed in it. And the people that were really fantastic. So I have, I have like nothing but fond memories. I call it the um, SAS bootcamp too, because I learned a ton in the (laughs) years I was there. The company grew gigantic though. And I am someone that I like to be at the forefront of processes. I like to understand what's going on with the business. And it was becoming more and more difficult to do that when the company becomes so huge and I'm not like at the very top. That was the biggest reason why I left. Um, Otherwise, if the company stayed small, which it couldn't have, obviously, I probably would have been still there to this day. Yeah, that's it. It's funny. I have talked and met with a lot of, of RevOps folks. I really think there are, you know, two types of people. I think there are, I, I think there are types of people like you where I feel like, you know, you want to be the person that's driving the decisions around large impact uh, decisions in a way that is going, you know, you can actually, you know, the CEO would know, hey, this happened because of something Kat did, right? And I know that you, when you're at a small company, that's very easily done. But as the company grows, it gets big. You you lose that connection. And then it, I think it sounds like that's what happened at, at, to it you is, too. It is. But then there's the other people that that love working at larger organizations and don't mind, you know, just doing one thing. Then that's if that's adminning, you know, adminning lean data and I do that all day, then great. You know, and they and they love just operating within that kind of a of a work frame. So I absolutely understand what you're saying because I think I'm I'm the former as well, right? So I get what you're saying. So you left Zoom and you're like, I need to go find my next new hot opportunity. And I and this is really what I wanted to talk to you about. Cause you you posted on LinkedIn a, a bunch about this. Talk to me about like what your work search experience was like after you after you left Zoom. Well, it was actually, so it, there was a period I was, I did join a company. So I didn't leave Zoom without a job lined up. Okay. I left Zoom to join a Series A startup in an industry I thought was very interesting. They they built a product for moving companies. The company is called Supermove. And I was going to be the first ops hire. And right. I instantly was very much turned on to that because I, I knew how to build the foundation. I knew how to scale like just what we talked about. It's like yeah, exactly. being, able to, being able to start everything from square one is like super appealing. Yes. So I was at I was there at Supermove for about six and a half months when the economy started going down and you saw layoffs over and over again online. And then I obviously, since I'm, I'm the first ops, I was close to all the metrics, of course, and I see a struggling 
especially yeah. with the moving industry, it's already um, there. They don't know technology or a lot of people who were movers. They, they didn't really use it too much. So it was even harder to get them into a SaaS product. Eventually, I was part of the first wave of a layoff there. And so that's what started my job search. Before then, it was I would never jump ship without having a job lined up. That's just right. not the person I like stability. But yeah, that was the first time in over a decade that I'd been jobless. And it was very strange. It was very, very strange. And this again, like this is like, what time frame is this? So I would say it was beginning of January to until I got this job in April, mid-April. So it's about four months. Of 2023? Yes. Okay. Okay. So again, part of the, you know, kind of economic downturn, you are now without a job. You're you're out there in the market for the first time in 10 years. And like, where did you start? So now, now you're in a position where you are without a job lined up and you're in the market in an economic downturn. What, what did you do? Well, okay. So I have a lot of really, I know a lot of really smart people in my network. I like to surround myself by people who are very successful either in my industry, outside my industry, but I want to learn from those people. I want to get to that place. So I already talked to them beforehand and they advised me on the company, but this was before the economy. So things change, obviously. You're supposed to change what you look for depending on the market, depending on how things are going. So they advised me less risk. They said, try not to go for an early series. Try to go (laughs) or post IPO. (laughs) Okay. And then they advised look at the customer retention because that was something I didn't look at for Steeper Move. And that actually would have probably, that probably would have given me a heads up of, of, oh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe it's not the right time. So look at the customer retention, look at uh, what VCs are are investing in right now because they weren't investing in anybody. AI was definitely what they're investing oh, yeah. in right now. It's a hot market. So that's what I did. And coming from like, like you would understand me when I say this, and it's not going to sound very, very nice, but people like us, we tend to also be very confident, almost overly confident because we're we're the go-getters. We know what's good or we know what to go after. We know how to set things up. We know how to be successful. Step, step aside and let me do everything. I'll get it all taken care of. Just trust me. <laughs> right. It's that confidence. It's like, okay, I've been there. I've been there for, for several years. I know what I'm doing. So I had that confidence level. Yeah, it, it took a hit when I got laid off because in my head, I was like, maybe I could have done this. Maybe I could have done that. But it was like nothing you could have done. And so in the beginning, I was very confident. I was like, ah, I'll apply here and there. I'll probably have three offers within a month. I'll just take it easy. It's no big deal. And then as time progressed, it it was not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely the opposite. It was... I was definitely getting a lot of replies back for interviews. I sent out over the course of time, 203 total applications. Wow. I had an average request rate for interviews about 24% and it stayed that steady. And if you Google it, they say a good amount of response rate is about 10 to 30%. So I was right there. I know I'm on the high end. Yeah. But, you know, I do one, two, three interviews and just one single thing, you know, they tell you when you apply for jobs online, don't try to be 100%. Don't try and be 100% of what they list out as the job description because you want to have room for growth and it just doesn't happen. This is the opposite. Anything that the interviewer could point out 
that I was missing the that the what's it called the 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 company whoever the hiring manager oh do you know this and I'd be like well you know I'm not too familiar with that I was out it was just like that but it wasn't something like you know CRM Dynamics versus Salesforce no it, no it was minor things right very minor things it was like do you know what a PQA is and I do, but I didn't know the coined term, product qualified account. Okay. Product qualified lead. And these were things I really, I already knew about when it, cause it was at Zoom, but no one coined those terms yet. Okay. So it's, it's more of a PIA, it's a more of a consumer facing type of. Yeah. It's okay. If someone purchases online and then they become a, an account that a rep can go after to expand and, uh, you know, increase the amount of licenses sold. Um, there's different uh, metrics that you, to to track that per company guidelines, but because I didn't know about the coin term, that was a reason why. So someone asked me, you know, and I'm on I'm on the interview live, and I'm like, should I quickly Google like what that would <laughs> mean? But no, I'm honest. I go, oh well, you know, I don't think I've ever heard that before, and that was something literally emails back. Sorry, my manager wants someone who has a lot of experience in that, but then it was too late. I got that. Oh, wow. Those those kind of like minor, yeah. I had one where I was not moved to the second round because I didn't have BI experience, which to me is super, it's something I can learn really quickly because I know SQL. So do you know how to like build a dashboard in Tableau, what have you? Yeah. Yeah, It's it was just things like that. Other things that was working against me was salary. Not, okay. I wouldn't say I'm high paid. I would say I'm about middle range for my experience level. We live in the Bay Area, though. <laughs> yes. For, for, the Bay Area. for the Bay Area, I would say I'm middle. Okay? Yeah. Strictly that. But companies were taking advantage of the downturn. Yeah. And the salaries were going down about 20%, 30%. I was looking at pay cuts everywhere. And I was willing. I was like, at first, I was like, no, I, there's no way. I know I can get something that matches at least, you know, maybe only five grand less than I make now. But it was, it was starting to become a trend too, that they would like cut me at the knees and I would have to be like, well, I can't, I can't take that much of a pay cut. I have, I I still have savings. I can, I can, you know, yeah, it was, it was the same time for sure. That's one of the things that's happened. I think, you know, that I've seen companies, you know, feel that they can hire, you know, folks, for less money because people have the ability to be remote, but like they forget that if they do hire someone that is, you know, in a high expense area like the Bay Area, like they still need to, you know, you still need to pay somebody for, you know, they can't live on crackers and cheese, right? And that's just, you know, you, you have an established living situation in the Bay Area and that's where you want to stay. So I think that's, that's something that I think hiring managers and 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 folks that are looking to hire people need to keep in mind when they're when they're looking at folks. And they keep familiar with it too. Like I said, they knew that the downturn they had like there was hundreds of applications you could see on LinkedIn how many people applied. Oh yeah. And that's what I was up against. It was just a numbers game at that point. So numbers game. Talk about that. Cause like a lot of your LinkedIn posts, you're t- you're talking about how you really applied data against your 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 job search and you talked about that a little bit of like what your reply rate was and what your uh, interview rate was and like I, I know I've had friends that have that have been unemployed and they like put all their eggs in one basket and they're like I got this I got this interview I'm gonna get this job and then they're completely devastated when it when it doesn't happen right 
But like to your point, you applied to 200 and 200 plus times and you're only you only got a 24% response rate. You know, that's what? That's 40 50 interviews. So to make sure I wasn't driving myself crazy, <laughs> I, right? So its average response rate is 10 to 30%. So to me I was like, okay, I'm on, I'm still good. I'm doing well. At least I know it's not my resume. It must be some other expectations. Like I said, the little things that they would see knocking out or the salary, because a lot of companies would not post their salary online. So I wouldn't find out until I'm interviewing. Yeah, no, it was, I looked for some trends to see what would, would help me. I was, the only thing I stayed consistent on is I only wanted to work at a SaaS company. Okay. I knew, I knew that that was at least the industry I wanted to stick with for sure. Then. Other than that, though, you know, if it was a SaaS industry for healthcare or if it was for telemarketing or tele, well, telecommunications or AI was like the one thing I really wanted, but I wasn't just focusing on that. I was spreading it out. So the industry was all over the place. I looked at, I had a couple of really good resources for SaaS startups. Okay. I, I used like Blue Signal showed you, you know, oh, this company is like hiring a lot. Um, There was like another startup website I used to look at, you know, the top investors because there's specific investors that are more difficult to get investments from. So that's like a higher indicator that it'd be a a good company to go to. Well, and there's, I think there's VCs that are SaaS focused too. So I got about 49 interviews, it looks like. I said 50, I was really close. Okay. 49 interviews. Um, and of those, the highest ones to respond back to me was Series C or companies at 101 to 250 employees. Like I sliced and diced this. I did oh, yeah. research on space. I grabbed when was their last uh, investment made? How many employees do they have? All those kinds of things, right? I had 28 first interviews. Of those 28, I only got moved to eight second interviews. Of those eight, I only got moved to seven third interviews. And then I only had four final interviews and only one, obviously, a job offer, only one. And the the reason why I got the job offer too, because once again, I was was, uh, racing against a bunch of other competitors is that my manager knew the hiring team at Ways and Biases and put put in a good word for me. Ah. Hit the scale... In my favor, I only I did the rest though. I had to, you know, wow the interview team or the panel of interviewees, which I know I'm really good at. I'm good at interviewing, so I know (laughs) you're you're an interview Uh, expert at this point. I know how to make people laugh and get them (laughs) to see my value. But yeah, no, it was literally because of that because she knew those people. It got my foot in that door and it got me an uh, offer. So to be clear. You know, you you did your homework on all these companies. So you would have taken a job at any of the 200 that you had filtered down that you knew were the SaaS company that were at the stage you wanted to be at. There were a few that I actually declined from my side too. I was picky. Of those those 200? Yes, of those 203, I declined it if they wanted me to go to the on-site. Like, okay, so I'm in San Jose. And a lot of the companies were located in San Francisco. Okay. Like, oh, here two to three days a week. And I'm thinking in my head, that's another like two and a half hours of my day. I have a dog and a cat. The dog needs to go. I live in an apartment. We don't have a backyard. Yeah. 
So that's, that's a problem because then I'm going to have to hire a dog walker and, and then there's going to be travel expense and my car, you know, parking, all this. So, so I turned away companies that were like, you have to be on site two to three days a week. Other ones were if the, if I didn't feel that the, um, the industry would be lucrative in this market. Okay. Yeah. So there were like a few, maybe three, maybe four that I ended up like, I didn't get an offer, but I was going along like pretty well right. in the, where I ended up like bowing out of the right. whole thing. Like, yeah. But I guess, I guess my point is for, for like all that work from that, from that top of the funnel number, all the way down to your, your final offer, you ended up getting the offer from the job and the thing that pushed it over the line for you was your network. So I think that that's I think that's another important point of you know making sure that you know as you make connections in your career you know how those can affect you later on in ways you don't even expect right because like here you had a manager that was two jobs ago uh, that was able to come in and say hey like you really need to hire Cat she's amazing and then that made the difference. Oh, it, it, and even so, while I was unemployed, this, this is the longest I'd ever been employed to. Four and a half months for me is a long time. Yeah. Which is very lucky because there's a lot of other people that have been unemployed way longer. So I count, I count myself very lucky. It, it just it kept, kept me sane. I started going on network, uh, going on LinkedIn a lot to network. I joined a couple of Slack groups as well to make friends and just to get pointers and ideas of what, what they're doing or what's going on with the market. Um, it kept me sane. So that was that's was that's what I did. I did a lot of spreadsheet work and research, and then I tried to network as much as possible. Yeah. Well, and and now you're now you're at weights and biases. I know you haven't been there very long. Uh, is there anything that you're doing that's exciting that you you want to share? Yes. So I am my main role at weights and biases is to manage territories Ooh. and. And no, but that's totally fine because my background is um, data systems and process. So for me, it's okay. I know how to do that. A lot of exciting things though right now is we're at a point in the company where we're trying to organize and put things into processes and streamline them and scale them. And it's very exciting for me because that's how my brain works. It puts, it sees a mess, which is, you know, a loose, a loose term. It's not really a mess, but you know, it sees a pile of Legos and it can build a ship out of it, or it can build a dinosaur or something. So it's really exciting to me to be able to be part of the company at that point where I'm able to like see things that I can build processes on top of. Got it. So like what approach are you taking to territories? I'm, I'm really curious. So we have lean data. So it was already implemented before I arrived. And the way things are done actually is everything comes in as context and accounts. We don't even use the lead object. Okay. I've never been on a company that does that. And I'm really gl- glad that Lean Data does every like does doesn't just focus on leads, it's also context and accounts. I'm like, okay, okay. at least yeah, I mean it's super flexible. That's how we manage everything right now. It's we have a PLG and an SLG process. So we have incoming and we also do outgoing. So we have a good sales team and we have a fantastic marketing team and we're trying to switch over to leads, inbound leads, which is going to be fairly new for the company. That's interesting. And then do you have do you have everything set up on the territory side by geographies or is it by industry or like how do you? So I actually just put a flow chart together. I love me flow charts. <laughs> Our sales segmentation is three ways. One is by employee count and we have a... Okay. Uh, we have a section by enterprise or digital native. So it's upper echelon and lower. 
we have it sectioned out by region. So APAC, Americas, and EMEA. And then uh, we have it sectioned out by industry, or we call them sectors. So we'll have like a, a group of industries that go into one sector. Got it. And then lean again, lean data has the flexibility to assign based on you can set up round robin pools basically for any of those any of those categories. Are you are you le- so like one of the things that I did at Lean Data when I was in RevOps is I I happened to at, and this was an opstar this was at opstars during the pandemic. I got to meet uh, Corey Six Sense, and Corey was walking me through how well actually it was his presentation at opstars he was walking everybody through hey here's how we actually leverage intent to drive our territories and i was like well that's weird i've never heard of that what like what are you doing and he's like oh, well we don't assign they don't they don't assign and i mean us at lean data now same thing we don't assign any anything to a rep unless we know that there's intent so obviously six sense is an intent platform it can tell you you know hey here's the hot accounts and we don't basically we don't we don't assign an account to anybody until there's intent, because that way we know that the sales rep is focused on accounts that are only hot. Like we don't want like if there's no intent or it's a it's a weak fit account, like we don't want you wasting your time. Like it's not even going to get assigned to anybody. And so that's really the ways that we've driven uh, how we do our our territory plan. I should probably do a I could probably do a webinar on my own on on dynamic territories and how that's set up and and why you why it's a great why it works great for us. I could save that for another another time. But something to think about when you're when you're setting it up on basically rather than doing it ge- geographically and giving somebody an account regardless of what the uh, well you want to give it to you want to give it to them when it's in your ICP obviously, but you want to you know. Think about maybe maybe in your ICP, but maybe nobody's really taking time to investigate your product or know what it is. And that's really where you want to make sure your sales reps are focusing their time on on the ones on those accounts that you know are hot. But yep. having a having a PLG, you know, you have a little bit of that already because then you can know people that have already taken action on, you know, either getting a freemium product or buying something low end on their own. That could be the signal that you that you use to to make that assignment too. So we do. We have a we have a PQA signal for accounts, but yeah, we are looking into doing scoring. So yeah, definitely on the right path for that. That's something I've been I'm starting to push on. So yeah. it's really yeah. really fun. It shocks the sales team, right? Because they're because all of a sudden they they lose they feel that they're losing accounts because all of a sudden the number of accounts that they're assigned drops tremendously. But it's like you know what? What you have to communicate to everybody is like, look. Uh, you're only going to get things that we, I know I have a high intent. They're high scoring. Like these are the ones, trust me, you're going to want to spend your time on. You don't want to spend your time on anything else. So there's a little bit of a sell to the sales team uh, when you, when you implement something like this, just keep in mind. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been very successful. It's six cents. has seen a lot of success with it. We at Lean Data have seen a lot of success with it. It's something that I, I try to tell people whenever I have a chance of like, Hey, if you're, taking a new look at uh, doing territories, there's a way to think about it. So, Would the other accounts that are not assigned to reps be going through marketing nurture campaigns then, I'm assuming? Yeah, oh no, absolutely. Those are the ones you're like, hey, marketing, go nuts. Like make these hot, you know, go take these and make it so that they do become with intent. You know, those are the ones you want to drip campaigns on and really focus marketing efforts on. And then the ones that you know have intent, you're going to market to those in a little bit of a different way, right? You're going to, you know that the sales reps going after them. So you don't need to put maybe as much effort on, on drip campaigns because the sales, the SDR, the AE, they're the ones that are really going to focus on it. They're the ones that are trying to flesh out the account with the right personas and then re- put them into the right sales engagement, 
you know, cadence or, you know, whatever email chain and phone call chain you're going to put them in, you know, you market to those a little bit differently. Uh, the ones that are cold, that don't have any intent, you know, that's where you want, probably want to invest more in LinkedIn ads and get them to click on, you know, white papers and, and uh, you know, sign up for webinars so that they turn into those warmer accounts that your, your SDRs, you know, are going to love to go after. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're turning to that methodology very soon. So we can talk offline. I'm happy. I'm happy to chat with you. <laughs> we'll, we'll set up some other time and talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. The other thing I love talking about on the podcast, your history of being in a, in a RevOps role, you know, a lot of times, you know, on the podcast, I've talked to folks and even just in general, RevOps professionals tend to come from a very varied background, right? Tell us like what, what has been your RevOps journey? What was your major in college? And then like, what was your first job? And then how did you kind of move into that RevOps role at, at, at Zoom? Yeah, absolutely. I actually put a post like that recently. <laughs> it was one of my LinkedIn <laughs> posts on my journey. So I majored in anthropology. It has nothing to do with... Anthropology. See, it's completely non-operations, non-sales, non-revenue background. But it does have to do with people and cultures. So you study... This is true. This is so true. Okay. Yes. So I was very much interested in people. I was very much interested in cultures. and But anthropology itself, in order to continue on that, that line, it, you have to basically become a researcher. It's a very long journey. You have to like beg for funding. It was just something I was like, no, this is going to be too hard. I don't want to do that. Let's. So I was working while I was in college. I was uh, working at the library. So already that okay. was organization, systems management, organization with the books in order and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I moved into a data entry role after that, after I graduated. And data would, became the foundation. You know, I had to do research. I had to... Uh, call our customers to get them to answer survey questions and organize, organize, organize and data <laughs> governance. And that was my whole world for like, for quite some time. Then I switched over to being a Salesforce admin um, because I quickly learned that systems became, came really easy to me. And I was like that go-to person at that company where I was a data analyst yep. or data entry person. Then I learned I wanted to be more than just a check the box kind of person. I didn't want to just have people tell me what to do. I wanted to strategize more. I wanted to be at the top. Yep. Um, and that's when I joined Zoom and sales ops. So I've been already steadily climbing into the RevOps kind of career. And I've been working with sales. I've been working with marketing. I've been uh, even working with customer success and all of that is how I was able to get my first uh, get my job in the Series A startup as like the first ops person because I had this good foundation of all the processes and systems of all the go-to-market teams. And I was able to kind of like put in all that stuff together. Uh, Waste and biases is, is very similar in the sense that I'm not the first ops hire, but RevOps supports the whole go-to-market uh, team. I love it. That is true. RevOps is when is when you touch everything. You own the customer journey. Everything from when a lead comes in on the front end as a marketing lead, all the way to renewing customer. Everything in between, RevOps owns that experience of the customer. You want to make that journey amazing. Yes, yes. We have a marketing ops person who's a who's right now he's in uh, marketing, but we work really closely with him and we tag team on all that stuff. But yeah, RevOps controls basically the entire customer journey from front to end, and it's. And that's what I like seeing. I like having that 360 view of the customer and what's going on. It just makes more sense. Yeah. And, and again, the companies that have that 
philosophy behind RevOps are probably going to be com- companies that you are going to function better in when that philosophy aligns. I agree. I agree. It, I think it's going towards there, especially as people are thinking of ways to do their jobs without the headcount anymore. So people have to be, they have, they have to get closer. They have to be more compact and, and help, you know, look, look to AI for help. So yes. I'm really excited for the next couple of years to see how the economy develops and how the market shifts. Yeah. So uh, what would you uh, recommend like people that are new in their new in their RevOps journey as a, a in their career? Like what things have you done that you found have helped accelerate your learning, accelerate your your position in your career? Yeah, what are the things that you would recommend uh, people people do? Ask a lot of questions and be hungry to learn. I would say is the best thing. I don't think that starting at a single point is right for everybody. So for me, data was my good standing point because I'm very logical. So I was able to kind of like go up that path because I'm like logic. It makes sense to me. That's my language. With other people, maybe it's understanding the business really well and just understanding business itself, business processes and business, you know, what technology works best with business, things like that. The best thing though, is to ask questions and to learn from people who have been successful Yep. To see like, what did you do? What was your saving grace? Or how did you do this or whatever? Constantly Google things, you know, nothing's ever made perfect. There's always more than one way to. Uh, <laughs> there is no Salesforce problem that can't be solved with a Google search. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just figured that out. I literally Googled it. <laughs> what is the error? Google it. Oh, okay. That's what happened. Here's how they fixed it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, you have to be a Swiss Army knife. You can't be someone who is very in one one lane you have to be okay with being in all the lanes at once okay cat well hey thanks for joining us today on the uh the opstars podcast and and thanks everyone for listening thank you the opstars podcast is brought to you by lean data to find out more about us and our suite of salesforce native products for marketing sales and revenue operations head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening. <laughs>